This is Michael Govier from the Is It Safe podcast, and you are now clear for communication with Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 191, Movies Based on Real Life. McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we're going to be taking a look at some of our personal favorite movies that are based on real life. But before we get to that, Derek, you always seem to have some spare time on your hands. So what's new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris, Hi. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say this is a typical week. I actually did not have a, a lot of spare time on my hands. Uh, one of the one of my colleagues at work is getting married this weekend, so she's been off all week. So we've had to cover uh, as you would with any colleague when they're away, you cover while they're on vacation. And uh, so, uh, you know, we've been making making do with the best we can while we're covering for our friend while she's off getting married. So uh, congratulations, Sam, if you're listening. And uh, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy week. But you know, I still managed to get a few movies in there. And, and let me nice. tell you, these are two crazy out of left field, eclectic kind of picks that you would never guess in a million years. So I'll just jump in real quick. I don't I, I don't know if you've seen either of these. So the first one is I'll say new ish. It came out in 2011. It's called Bridesmaids. Have you seen Bridesmaids? Yes. My wife did subject okay. me to that movie, believe it or not. Okay, So. Uh, Bridesmaids, uh, it's the project by Kristen Wiig. It's got a lot of her um, compatriots from Saturday Night Live. Someone had talked to me about it not too long ago, so it was on my rewatch list, and I thought this is a perfect chance. I rewatched it. I enjoyed it, but it's one of these movies that I remembered enjoying it more than I actually did when I watched it the second time around. And I find often it's the other way around, where you sort of think, ah, the movie was just okay, and then you rewatch it, and you're like, wow, that's a lot better than I expected. Unfortunately, with this one, for me, it was the other way around. I remembered it being, like, fantastic. And then I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, it was just okay. And maybe it's because it's a comedy. And as we've said before, sometimes with a comedy, once you know the jokes, they're maybe not as funny. But I don't know. It was good, and I would certainly recommend it to people who haven't seen it or maybe people like me who hadn't seen it in a long time. I think it's, it's more – sorry. I think it's more, as I always say, that these millennial films are just not rewatchable like Gen X movies well, are. I, I mean, for me, I think part of it is that this is a movie uh, written by women, starring women, that speaks to a lot of things, you know, the, like to a, a female audience. And I think that there's some of the things in this movie that I don't find funny just because they're not intended to make me laugh. And whereas I know, like, my wife's seen this movie a few times and she loves it and she dies laughing every time. So anyway, it was good. Don't get me wrong. It's a strong movie. And I definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. Um, then the other one, this going way back to 1986, right in your wheelhouse. Yes. Oh, this is the better. Arnold Schwarzenegger classic. And I hope you can hear my air quotes when I say classic, because it's not raw deal. <laughs> Jeez. When was the last time you saw raw deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, never. Uh, that's the one with, isn't it with like Jim Belushi or something? Nope. That's red heat. Oh, that's red and, heat. Okay. Yep. So. This one was raw deal. It, this is like if you said to someone, talk to me about movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger did in the 80s. You'd be like, uh, law enforcement guy who single-handedly takes on bad guys with a lot of fighting, shoot em ups and car chases. Like, yeah, that's it. That's the movie. That's exactly <laughs> what the movie was about. And I, I mean, I knew that's what the movie was going to be about going. I mean, I didn't know, know it, but I figured that's what the movie was going to be about. I, I don't honestly remember seeing this in the 80s, but I'm sure I did because, you know, I was a 10 year old boy in the 80s. So Arnold Schwarzenegger movies were the best. Yeah, it was exactly as bad as you'd expect, but it was kind of fun because I didn't know what was coming up. Like I knew Arnold Schwarzenegger would be shooting up bad guys and blowing things up and doing car chases and giving bad dialogue and cheesy one liners. And it was almost like uh, like a high school version of a play that you know will get better when you see these performers doing it in college. And it was like, this was this was like the Arnold intro to acting class. It's like the acting was pretty bad, but you could see promise of 
what he would become in some of the other films. And definitely his movements look quite like robotic. So you could sort of watch him and go, yeah, I can see why they cast him as the Terminator. Yeah, he looks like a walking robot, but it was fun. I, I laughed at things you probably shouldn't have laughed at, but it was a fun ride. Uh, Again, a very different movie than Bridesmaids, but those were the two that I watched this week. Interesting. So so I have a phenomenon that I just want to share with you. And I'm, I'm sure you know this. I'm sure listeners know this. But there is a tendency for TV shows to, how can I say this, to be to, to evolve over time. Usually, if you go back and watch the first episode of a TV series... And then you watch like, you know, maybe into the second or third season. It's usually, it looks like a different show. Like for example, Seinfeld. If you watch the first episode of Seinfeld, it's unrecognizable. They look different. Like, I mean, the restaurant is different. George is basically doing a, a second rate Woody Allen impression. Like it, it's, the show is different, you know? <clears throat> and I told you recently that my sons really started liking uh, watching Happy Days. They got my. They got into my DVD collection and we're watching season five. And I'm like, yep. Daddy, really love Happy Days. I'm like, Let me tell you, season one of Happy Days is not what you think. And they're like, What do you mean? So you know, Derek, there's a local uh, station out of Hamilton, Ontario, that plays old TV shows during the yep. day. Luck would have it, they were playing a uh, an episode of Happy Days from season one. So I recorded it, you know, on my, on the PBR and I put it on for the kids and they were like, Oh my God, what is this? Because if you go back and watch season one of happy days, it's, it's a totally different show. It's, yeah. it's got a different, there's no laugh theme. track, right? There's no laugh track. Um, they might use it once in a while. It's, um, there's a different theme song. There is, it's shot on film. Yeah. Rock around it, the clock, right? Yeah. Fonzie might have one line in every episode. He's not even really in it. And it's basically a TV version of American Graffiti. It even has yeah. Ron Howard in it. That's that's what it was meant to be, right? Yeah. So it didn't evolve into that two-camera sitcom until later. And so the reason I bring this up is because I mentioned also that my son started to like WKRP in Cincinnati. And so he's been watching this. That might be one of the few shows in the history of television that was as good or better at the first episode as it was at the last episode. It's the show is unchanged because I sat down with him and we watched the first episode, as I mentioned, and it was fantastic. And then you watch it like a couple episodes in, you watch season two. It's the exact same show. It didn't change at all. Like everything was there right from the get go. And that's such a rare thing. I don't know. So I think WKRP is one of those rare TV shows that was just great right from the beginning. It was it was what it was. It had already found its stride. It didn't take time to develop. And it was just, it hit the ground running. So it's just something I wanted to mention. The other thing, I had a birthday recently. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and, Happy and, and, birthday, Chris. I totally forgot. I'm sorry. Stop. I don't need to turn that off. Turn that, turn that off. I don't need, I don't need, it's not the reason I brought it up. We didn't get you a cake because with all those candles, it would burn down your house, your neighbor's house and all the houses in your community because exactly. you're so old. <laughs> I am. But we love you. So I wanted to mention because <clears throat> I, I received a really, really nice gift. Uh, this good friend of mine who will go unnamed um, <clears throat> got me this old comic book from 1982 which was the movie adaptation of Time Bandits. And I just thought it was such a great gift. But the reason that I, that I also bring this up is because my family, I got let down this year. I got uh -oh. let down. I didn't get what I wanted for my birthday this year. Any guess what I wanted for my birthday this year? Well, I know for Christmas, you always want this. So I got to think your birthday, you want it too. Was it a neck full of gold? It was a neck full of gold. What? That's all I wanted. Neck full of gold. And I didn't get it. But so I'm a little disappointed. Hopefully they'll come through at Christmas time. I'm hoping. But uh, not only do I get gifts for my birthday, I also give them. So I'm going to give you one right now. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, <clears throat> why didn't the man cook alligator for dinner. Oh, geez. I don't know, because he was a terrible cook. He only had a crock pot. Oh, it was a was, crock pot, Derek. Yeah. It was a crock pot. That was bad, but I, I got to admit, I kind of chuckled. At <laughs> oh, yes. 
anniversary. Don't be ridiculous. Okay, well Love then, have I got a show for you? Oh yeah, because I watch the That Show so much. I can't wait for you. Oh, that's right up your alley. 30 bags of potato chips and 12 bottles of liquor. So this looks uh, like something that would be up my alley. I'm doing crappy. How you doing? You're like, I'm doing crappy too. I want it to end. I want them all to go to jail. So we need to lock you up for telling that joke. Yeah, I think that would be best. All right, so this week we're doing a topic, and we decided it would be interesting to take a look at movies that are based on real life. So we each put together a, a top five list of our favorite movies based on real life. Now, I should point out, this isn't just strictly biographies, you know, and which in, in fact, if you think about it, we should actually maybe come back and, and do that on a future episode, you know, like our favorite biographical movies. But instead, what we're doing is we're going to look at movies based on real life, you know, so that it could be a biography. Or it could be a movie based on, you know, an event or a series of events or, you know, sometimes you just see in movies where it says based on a true story, you know, kind of like that. So, so does that make sense, Derek? Am I just rambling here? You yeah. Know? Yeah. So we've we've had this conversation probably more off camera than actually on the mic, but about doing this as a topic or some variation of this. And so when we decided earlier this week that this was our, our topic, I got to thinking and I did a little bit of homework and the the depth of movies that have been based off of real life events or real people uh, is incredible. And I realized that, um, you know, they always say truth is stranger than fiction. And a lot of times something will happen and people say, oh, you know, if you read about that, you would never believe it if you hadn't seen it really happen in front of you. And those are a lot often the kind of things that get turned into movies. And so as I was doing a little bit of homework and digging it, you know, digging through the the various internet archives and, and putting together a list of movies based on real events or inspired by true events or based on the life of a real person, it got to be a really long list very, very quickly. And I realized that a lot of these movies could essentially be categorized into a handful of different groupings. And I found that once I sort of wrapped my head around that and then looked at the movies that way, it, it became a little easier to narrow down my list, but it was still challenging. So bear with me on this one. What I did was I, I, I found there's sort of a handful of topics. You have movies based on real life that are based on actual historical events, things that really happened. And it's not so much any one individual as much as a series of events or a group of people that came together for a, for a reason. So like, uh, again, and I've got a lot of examples I'm just going to throw out. I'm not, I'm trying not to spoil at least the movies that I picked. I have no idea what's on your list, but these are things like I, uh, and often these wouldn't be movies like about things like world war. So you have things like, um, black Hawk down or Munich or um, the Chicago, the trial of the Chicago seven came out a couple years ago. Like these are historical events that feature large casts of people. Uh, and in, in many cases, these are movies where either something historically significant has happened. And that's why we're telling the story, or maybe the story is not as well known or wasn't as well known at the time, but we, for whatever reason have decided we need to shine a spotlight on this. So like maybe something like zero dark 30, which was all about the, um, the, the, military intelligence unit that found and located Osama bin Laden post 9-11. Like the movie takes place over a decade and features a lot of characters, but it's it's an it's something that they felt they wanted to tell a story about. So that was sort of the one category was like what I called the historical event. Then there were the movies that like you could, they're basically biographies. These are movies about, they're focused pri primarily on one or two people that are real people that had an important role in history Again, it's maybe someone who we we know and love and just want to, you know, glamorize on the big screen. Maybe it's someone who um, didn't get the due that they maybe deserved at the time, but they're important to history. So we want to know a little more about them or, um, you know, uh, often this will be like uh, uh, like political figures, monarchs, politicians musicians and performers are often uh, fall in this category. So again, a bunch of movies that fall on the list are things like um, Gandhi or Amadeus or Lincoln or the aviator, or um, more recently you have something like Dolomite is my name. Um, things like this, where it's like one or two main characters and the movie tends to be prominently about their life. Sometimes it's their whole life. And sometimes it's just a, a you know, an important part of their life. Um, so anyway, I got a little more to go on on this, but I just want to, are you sort of, you on board with me? Like, does this make mm -hmm. sense that we've sort of got these categories? Yeah, okay. I guess so. So then, 
another category we have is the sports movie or the underdog movie. And, and nobody does this better than Disney. You look up Disney's movie catalog, you type Disney movies based on true events, and you're going to get like 20 or 30 lists, uh, a list 20 or 30 movies long. And they're not all Disney, but some of the best ones are like Disney. Miracle. So I was going to yeah. say, Miracle yeah. is the first one on my list. Yeah. Or they have like, um, uh, remember the Titans or the greatest game ever played. Uh, the Rookie uh, is, a gr- is, you know, it's a great one that I love because I'm getting a little older. So it's always nice to see a movie about an old guy who can still throw the ball 90 miles an hour but like we've done a couple because you were always good at doing that yeah no kidding um but like a movie like moneyball that we did not too long ago or um raging bull like these again they're you know movies about an underdog or a sports movie or you're someone you maybe don't think is is going to do as well you have movies like the blind side again it's that sort of cheer for the underdog kind of film some of them are more feel good than others but there's again there's a ton of them um then the last category of, uh, oh no, pardon me, two categories. Then there's the one, sort of, this is again, a, like sort of the biography, but it's more like, I've called it the unknown hero. So it's it's a story about somebody who, until the movie came out, most people had no idea who they were, but they did something that was culturally relevant or spectacularly heroic or survived some sort of a, a, a trauma or, you know, again, it's this idea that they did something that people wouldn't believe if you hadn't seen it in a movie. So you had things like um, the movie Captain Phillips, for example, with uh, um, Tom Hanks or Aaron Brockovich or um, Hotel Rwanda. Like you have these things that are, you know, where there's an individual who has done something that has changed the lives of other people or has has done something incredibly heroic. The movie 127 Hours where the guy has to cut off his own arm. Um, you know, or uh, straight out of Compton. It's like, here's a movie, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a, you could call it a, a documentary or not a documentary, like a biopic where it's, it's about these people. But in some cases it's like, well, I didn't know a lot about them until I saw this movie. Um, the Imitation Game is a good example of this, where it's about Turing, the guy who did the, the Enigma machines during the war. Again, not a lot known about him publicly. And then uh, more recently they wanted to, you know, when they made the movie, they focused on different parts of his life and more of the after the war stuff because he he suffered tremendous persecution because he was gay. So again, there's these movies that are called sort of the unknown hero or the lesser known heroes. And then the last one, the last category I sort of had was these movies that are made about like a social issue or social relevance. Um, so the, like the movie Spotlight, for example, which won the Oscar for Best Picture four or five years back, you know, it, it was an important issue that that they wanted to get out there. Or a movie like The Big Short was about the stock market crash uh, or the mortgage crash, um, you know, um, these kinds of movies. So once I sort of realized there's like the handful of these categories, there's a lot of movies you can jam into these categories. And I found that that really helped me sort of narrow my list. So anyway, I've been talking Dear, for a long time. I love you, man. But let me tell you, you overthink everything. <laughs> like, it's so funny. You t- so let's just get into a list. Um, and we'll start at number five and work our way up to more, uh, number one. Just movies based on real life. We'll just keep it simple. You know, like, all right. I, I love all these categories that you've put together. But I mean, it just, it, why just cram them all together and put them out there? So why don't you start us off your number sure. five movie based on real life? What do you got and why? Sure. So. Uh, before I get to that, I want to just say I tried to pick movies from my one to five that sort of fit in all the different categories because I thought that was an easy. Right. Yeah, it was my best way. So <clears throat> my first one is uh, one of these sports movies, this underdog movies, uh, again, done by Disney from 1993. Cool Runnings. So this is the movie about the Jamaican sprinters that didn't the, qualify the for the Olympics. Team, right? So they decided yeah. to go to the Winter Olympics two years later and compete in the bobsled team because they, they got it in their mind that part of the reason the bobsledders do very well is that they have to push the, they, they literally have to run and sprint and push the bobsled at the start of the race. And if you can get a bunch of sprinters doing that, they're going to get that few second advantage right off the bat. And then all they got to do is learn to do the bobsled, which again, one of the things that, that Disney does well with these kinds of movies is they play kind of fast and loose with reality in order to tell a good story. Sure. And I, I think one of the things that uh, that this movie maybe glosses over is just how difficult it is to actually be a bobsledder. And, but I mean, that aside, especially being from Jamaica. Yeah. And I mean, there, there's certainly part of the humor from the movie is right. the fact that these guys have never seen snow and that the winter Olympics are in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. When they get there, there's a snowstorm and like they're freaking out because they've never seen snow before. Um, but again, this is a feel-good movie. It's the underdog tale. It's these these four Jamaican sprinters who thought they were going to go to the Olympics, and you know there was a little mishap at this that they show at the start of the movie where one of the guys trips and he knocks the other guys down, and they don't qualify for the Olympics. 
And they, you know, rather than give up their dream of being Olympic athletes, they decide let's let's try something a little different here. And then you've got uh, the late great John Candy uh, in the role as the coach, um, who has a connection to I think the father of one of the the sprinters. And John Candy's character is a previous Olympic uh, coach, so you know the the movie goes from there where where he takes these guys under under his wing and and teaches them. And like any other Disney movie, there's there's the lessons that are learned along the way and the, the stories of redemption and all that stuff. And of course, at the end of the movie. You know, and, and again, movies, these movies are based on real life. So I'm going to have spoil all of them. So if you haven't seen them, I'm sorry, but like they're based on real life. So uh, these guys, the first year out, they did not win a gold medal, but it becomes more a movie like the first Rocky, where it's like Rocky doesn't win at the end of the first Rocky. He just goes the distance. And that's really the lesson that comes out of Cool Runnings is, you know, if you're dedicated and you work hard and you try it, even though you don't win, you still get a tremendous sense of satisfaction of of doing the best you can under the circumstances. So, you know, I love this movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm definitely looking forward to a rewatch in the not too distant futures. Cool Runnings, my number nice. five pick. That was a thing back in the '88 Olympics, the Winter Olympics that year. The Jamaican bobsled team. I remember it was like a it was a cultural phenomenon. So yeah, uh, yeah, I remember that. Okay, Derek, if I told you that my first movie was a 1980 film that was produced by Mel Brooks, what would your guess? be to what this movie might be wow based on a real thing yeah uh i didn't know that mel brooks had his uh had his fingers in the pie of any sort of real life movies so it's it's the elephant man oh i didn't as soon as you said that i'm like yep that's right now mel brooks of all people produced this film it's based on the life of joseph merrick now in the movie they call him john merrick Right. But uh, he was this grossly disfigured man that lived during the 1800s in London, England. And he was in this freak show and he was treated like an animal. And people would come and they would pay just to look at him. And then a doctor played by Sir Anthony Hopkins has to treat him one night at the hospital because the circus handlers would beat him so bad. And oh man, just, just thinking about this movie is painful. <laughs> and it, like, it, it's not just about human cruelty it, the movie is also about dignity you know and the human spirit they, they, they introduce this man to the bible and reading shakespeare and he goes to the opera and then he, he comes to know kindness and friendship and this movie is haunting like it's it's shot in black and white. It's just mesmerizing and it, it's it's painful to watch but it's extremely moving um, it only cost $5 million to make. It was a commercial success because it made, you know, almost $30 million domestically. Um, it was a big critical success. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards. And then the makeup that they used to transform John Hurt. Yeah, the guy from Alien. We remember they had the alien yep. coming out of his stomach. So he plays John Merrick. The makeup was so good in this movie that the Oscars the next year realized they had to add a new category best makeup because they felt like like this movie was so good like they owed it something you know even so the next year they're like we need to, to, to create this new category they were inspired by it right um i i think we need to review this movie at some point on a future podcast but i mean for now it's 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 one of the greatest films in my mind ever made about real life events so elephant man's my number five what do you got for number four yeah, no, that's a good pick. I actually had to watch The Elephant Man, and the very first time I ever saw it was when I was in university studying um, studying film. Oh, nice! It was one of one of the movies that uh, that was on the syllabus the first year. I remember a lot of the movies were like these foreign films or these art films, and it's like I never heard of any of these. And then you get sort of to the newer ones at the end of the list. And I'm like, Elephant Man, that that sounds familiar. And yeah, like you said, it 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 was great. I I didn't really know what to expect, but no, it was fantastic. I saw this movie in the theater when I was ten years old. I went and saw it and I was just shocked at what I watched and I was just mesmerized by it. And it, it really moved me, you know, as, as a kid. And it, it's just kind of stuck with me ever since. So nice. that's why it's on there. All right. Yep. All right. So uh, my number four pick, uh, this is one of those ones that's based on historical events. Okay. And um, this is the 1995 film Apollo 13. Oh, nice. Nice. So Good one. I, I love space and nasa and anything to do with the apollo missions like i'm a i'm a junkie for that stuff i love documentaries about like the flights to the moon and all like i'm i'm all in uh and 
around the time this movie came out, I can't remember if it was just before or just after, probably just after, HBO did a documentary series called From the Earth to the Moon. And I think it was produced by Hanks and uh, Ron Howard based on their relationship they made, they made during this. But yeah, anyway, uh, that's just a side thing. So Apollo 13, uh, obviously real life event. It's when the, uh, astronauts, uh, uh, Lovell, Hayes and Swaggart were, uh, in the Apollo 13 capsule going to the moon. And then there was a technical problem. And then, you know, the famous line, Houston, we have a problem. And they realized they could die out there. Like they weren't going to the moon anymore. They were just desperate to get home. And, so eventually, of course, again, spoiler, they make it home. Now, uh, this movie was a, a, a critical success and uh, it made a lot of money. Uh, it was directed by Ron Howard. It starred Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, and Kevin Bacon as the main three astronauts on board the capsule. Had Gary Sinise in a supporting role as well. And, um, uh, oh my God, I can't think of the guy's name. It was the flight director. I'm sorry I didn't write it down. Um, he was nominated for nine Oscars. Was it Ed Harris? Ed Harris, that's yeah. the guy. Thank you. Um, nominated for nine Oscars, including Best Picture. Uh, it ended up winning two two Oscars for sound and film editing, but uh, well-deserved. It was, uh, you know, like a fan favorite. Um, one of the stories I think I've told on the podcast before was um, with this movie, with any movie that's based on real events, sometimes it's hard to get people excited about a movie where you know they know the ending or that they think they know the ending. And when I used to work at Blockbuster Video, this was a, a very popular video rental choice and i can remember on numerous occasions uh my good friend greg who's a friend of the podcast he worked with me at blockbuster and when people come in and they'd be like oh apollo 13 that's the one with the astronauts he's like no 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 no," and he'd like quiet quiet his voice and lean in a little bit and he goes they change the ending and they all die at the end but it's a surprise <laughs> and then he's like and the people would be like really and he's like yeah he's like and this was pre-internet right so people couldn't just go online and check he's like yeah, it's like the best kept secret. That's why the movie's doing so well is people are going back to see it when they realize the ending's been changed and all the astronauts die. And they're like, oh, wow, I had no idea. And so we would always get people renting the movie. And so they'd go home and watch it and fully expect because Greg told them that the astronauts die at the end. They were expecting them to die at the end. And then when they don't, they enjoy the movie even more. But that's what happened in real life. They lived. And so, of course, they come back and they're like, hey, you tricked me. And he'd be like, yeah, but didn't you enjoy the movie more thinking they were going to die? And then when they didn't, didn't you enjoy the ending even more? And they're like, you know what? Yeah, we kind of did. So so that's the thing. That's always the trick with a movie based on real events is depending on how well known the events were, sometimes the movie really loses its steam. And, and you know, it's could you it's imagine? Hard. Could you imagine if Greg pulled that trick with a different movie? Like, for example, let me just, you know, I'm spitballing here. So let's say somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I want to rent, uh, I want to rent the Sixth Sense. And Greg's like, hey, guess what? Bruce Willis isn't really a ghost and he doesn't die at the beginning. He's alive through the whole thing. Enjoy. <laughs> like what if he pulled that? <laughs> well, it is what it is. Yeah, but be in any case, uh, so this, again, this one, it's, uh, when it came out, it was, um, it was a big deal because of a lot of the special effects work. It was a big deal because they shot the, um, the scenes with the astronauts in space in actual zero G they use what they call the vomit comet where the plane goes like, like there's a big plane NASA uses to train their astronaut yeah. astronauts where it goes sharply up and then sharply down and you get like two or three minutes of weightlessness. And so they did hours and hours and hours and hours of this weightlessness to get these shots done. And um, so it just gives the movie that extra authenticity. Now, in today's, you know, you're making a movie like this today, you do it all with the computer. It's, it would be way cheaper and certainly easier on your actors. But at the time, this was the you know practical effect that was just easier to do than try to figure out another way in order to make it look realistic. Now, there was some fantastic computer animation done for things like the sequences where the where the spaceships are taking off. But this was a good combination in 1995 of real practical effects and digital uh, computer generated effects. And I think it was a good milestone as we've talked before, like, you know, we did the last Starfighter last week mm -hmm. and we said like some of it doesn't hold up. It doesn't look that great. It's really low budget. And, well, I mean, by today's standard, it looks cheesy, but you got to start somewhere. This was like a good example of a significant milestone along the way in computer animation so nice. Apollo 13 is my number four pick All right it's good one. okay my number four Derek you're gonna hate it you're gonna hate my number four pick I'm going back to the well again I'm going back to another black and white film from 1980 and that's Martin Scorsese's Raging Bull we reviewed this movie together back on episode 163 Derek I know you hated this movie but you gotta be honest I mean as far as filmmaking goes this is a masterpiece 
And Scorsese has obviously done some legendary work, you know, in his time as a director, but he's never been better in my mind. He's never been better than he was here with Raging Bull. And the movie centers around the life of boxer Jake LaBotta. But what it really is, is an, it, it's an exploration of masculinity and rage and jealousy and misogyny. It's like the, like the Elephant Man. It's not an easy film to watch. You know, it's not an, a quote-unquote likable you know, or entertaining film. But that doesn't take away how important it is as a piece of art, you know. Um, both, like I say, this movie and The Elephant Man, they both feel like a punch in the gut, you know. But but they're important films, and, and, and they're both about the underbelly of humanity, I think. And, and those are not things that, you know, people always want to talk about, right? But they exist. They're a part of real life. And if you're going to make a movie about real life, then... You can't ignore the, the bad and only focus on the good because unfortunately, in real life, there's a lot of bad. And art, I think real art should imitate life. And in Raging Bull, Scorsese does that. So it's my number film, number four. Well, I, uh, so you said, uh, so what you said about my take of this was is correct. I, I do not care for this movie. Yeah, I do I not like this movie. I can respect it as artistic. I would certainly not put it in my list and I certainly didn't put it in my list. And honestly, we've done a handful of like movies based on real life on the podcast. So I deliberately tried to not retread on some of those mainly because most of them were movies you had picked, which maybe I didn't like all that much anyway. But, um, <laughs> but you had said you felt Scorsese's never been better than he was in this. And I, mm-hmm. I got to disagree with that with you on that one. But uh, again, I think, We've already had that discussion. Yeah. Ad Maybe in the, taxi in the driver. Bowl. Maybe taxi well, driver, but that's it. Yeah. Anyway, well, that we'll 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 revisit that yeah. at another time. We'll come back to that one. Okay. Yeah. So number three. Okay. So as I previously mentioned with Apollo thirteen. Yes. I'm. I love everything and anything to do with NASA and the space program, and it just so turns out this next one's on a sort of similar vein. This is one of those ones that falls into that sort of unknown hero category. It's a story about people who. Um, maybe at the time didn't get the recognition and the due that they deserved, but we're at a point in history now where today's generation is looking back and saying like, who do we really need to shine a spotlight on because they did something amazing and let's make a movie about it. And that's what I'm doing for my number three pick. It's a film called Hidden Figures from 2016. I've heard this is fantastic. You got to nominate this on the podcast because I want to watch it. It looks good. Yeah. So for those who maybe are not familiar, this is only a few years old, but for those who are not as familiar, the, the synopsis here is uh, it's the story of a team of female African-American mathematicians who served a vital role in NASA during the early years of the U.S. space program. It stars um, um, Taraja P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and Janelle Minow. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. And then Kevin Costner in a supporting role. And it was nominated for three Oscars, including Best Picture, uh, Best Actress in Supporting Role, and Best Adapted Screenplay. It unfortunately did not win any of those, but I believe the year it was nominated, it was up against some pretty heavy competition. But this movie is is one of those movies where here are three women of color who in the 1960s were experts in their field in science, technology, mathematics, and were totally taken for granted, were, were not given opportunities not, I don't even want to say given, they worked as hard as they could to try and make opportunities for themselves that were not otherwise available and faced tremendous hardship. And it took 50 years for us to make a movie where, you know, everybody and their mother now has a pretty good idea of who they were and their contributions. And you, you see this story of these three women struggling despite the fact that they are brilliant and the top of their field and doing a way better job than the white dudes in this story, uh, which I'm sure was the case in real life. And in a time where women and especially women of color are encouraged to go into STEM, into science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, this is a great movie that shows that, um, you know, you, even with like with perseverance and, and uh, you know, by pushing through and doing the best you can do despite all obstacles and and just focusing on the work and doing what you can that um, you can make a difference. And it's crappy that these these three women in real life didn't get anywhere near the recognition they deserved, uh, maybe until much, much later in their life. But, um, you know, it's a certainly an inspiring tale for for anyone who's looking to go into uh, into technology, especially um, for women and, and people of color. So I think this is a great I mean, I loved it. I thought this movie was great. 
And uh, that's why I made my list. Number three, Hidden Figures. Nice. Okay, we're getting into <clears throat> some of the good ones now. I'm going with Titanic. I remember when this movie came out back in December of 1997. It had all these stories swirling around about this movie. Like the film had gone over budget and it was a big mess as a production. And it, it was going to be the biggest box office bomb of all time. I mean, I mean you know what's going to happen, right? The ship sinks. Spoiler alert. Yeah. You know, how half the movie is about the ship sinking. The Titanic starts going down like halfway through the movie, right? But the thing is, love it or hate it, this is a really, really well-made film. And instead of becoming this major box office bomb, it became the highest grossing film of all time. You know, and that lasted, you know, right through until they started making all these CGI crappy movies and, and charging everyone more money for the 3D and all that stuff. And I'm not bitter in any way. But the thing is, Titanic shouldn't work. But it does. And the, the performances in it are great. Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio basically went on to become two of the greatest actors of their generation. James Cameron is one of the most successful filmmakers of all time. And you could argue all three of them were at their peak, you know, as artists with this movie. It's probably the best work I think that any of them have done. It's an amazing film. I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I mean, like this movie has been talked to death over the years. So I'm just going to say as far as movies based on real life go, number three on my list. So I think, uh, okay, so let me start by saying I love Titanic. I think it's a great film. And I think most people have to admit that it's great. Uh, now, it's clearly, uh, you know, a love story wrapped around the disaster of the of the ship sinking. And it's a, a special effects masterpiece. And Cameron certainly knows how to tell a good story. And he knows how to create a good movie. So, I mean, we're not arguing any of that stuff. Um, but I think this is one of those ones where you sort of have to put the quotes around it and say, like, inspired by true events. Because so aside from the fact that the ship sank, a lot of this is just speculation. As I mean, any sort of historical uh, uh, piece would have to be. But with something like this, it's like, yeah, they may have had a passenger manifest and they created characters that had names similar to the people who were actually on the ship. But I guess the the older the movie, the older the subject matter you're making your movie about, I think the the less accurate it's got to be, right? Like the more liberties this, the filmmakers have to take in order to to make an interesting story. So honestly, this one Ooh. never even crossed my mind as yeah. as being in this category. Yes, the Titanic was a real ship. Yes, the Titanic really sank. But I would never like I made a list of over a hundred films. Titanic's not on the list. And I even when you just said it, I didn't think to myself, damn it, how did I overlook that? Like to me, this is just one that for whatever reason, I, I don't really feel falls in this category as accurately. It does. It does. <laughs> You're also a guy that broke this down into like five different categories and all this. But here's the thing. Cameron was meticulous about including details in this film that were as accurate as possible. Right. So, I mean, in, in, there's there's real life people in it, like like whether it's the captain of the ship or whatever, even sure. though the one scene that, that, that he shoots on the deck was, was actually based on a photograph. Like, I don't know. I think it I mean, it, movie based on real life, the Titanic, it happened. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I mean, are they, you know, uh, fictional characters? Sure. Right. But I mean, it yeah. is based on real life. Yeah, and I mean, like uh, one of the other movies I mentioned earlier was like Braveheart. Again, mm. I, I, I've done a little bit of homework on that, and I know that huge portions of that movie are completely fictional or or guessed. Like, hey, we think this might have happened, but to tell a good story and make a good movie, you know, you've gotta you've gotta have some artistry in there. So again, I don't fault it. I love mm. the movie, but to me, this one just is one of those ones that I think there's too much of it that I I know or suspect is is made up for for the artistry of the movie that. For me, it doesn't fall into the category as nicely. As I mean, I get what you're saying, because, I mean, if you think of something like Saving Private Ryan, you know, it's about World War II, but they're all fictional characters, right? So, yeah. So I, I get what you're coming from, but, yeah. Uh, okay. Know, anyway, I don't know. I so like it's a small one. criticism on, yeah. on what's otherwise a fantastic film. Yes. Okay, okay. Number two. What do you got, my friend? Yeah. My last two are, are like super heavyweights. These two are two of my all time favorite movies. They both make my top 20 list without any question. Um, and it believe will me, there it was be a, crossover with my message. It was it was a struggle for me which one of these was going to be number one and number two. But ultimately, I, I, I if I could make them a one A and a one B, I would. But we got to we got to stick to the one and two. So for sure. my number two, this one falls. Uh, so I, my number two pick is the Social Network from two thousand and ten. Nice. 
This is the story about uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the creator of Facebook, and how he and some of his and some of his friends created Facebook, and how some of those friends got hugely screwed over. Um, it's directed by one of my all-time favorite directors, David Fincher. It's written by uh, the great Aaron Sorkin, whose work I enjoy immensely it was nominated for eight academy awards it won three of them including uh best screenplay best film editing and best music and that was uh trent reznor better known as the guy from nine inch nails won an oscar for the music on this one but it was also nominated for best picture best actor best director cinematography and sound mixing like this was a big heavyweight movie in 2010 and i've been following this movie a lot since then it has got a tremendous amount of praise a lot of people if you look online for like best movies of the 2010s this is usually on the in the top three of just about everybody's list uh i i would categorize this going back to my original categories as as sort of a it falls into a couple of them but more of like a social relevance social issues uh category because i think it's important it's an important film for a lot of reasons but for me one of the reasons i think it's an important film is just it really hits the nail on the head and it talks about the emergence of social media and how like it's almost like it's prophetic of seeing into the future of just how important and how big a deal social media is going to become. And it, it does this great job of sort of documenting the the process of how these guys, you know, were in the right place, the right time, had the right idea and just boom, it took off from there. Uh, this is definitely a movie we will be doing on this podcast in the not too distant future. I love this film. My number two pick movie based on real life social hmm. network like it all right okay my number two i'm going back a few years before that go figure that's what i do i'm going back to 1976 all the president's men so i mentioned with titanic that that movie shouldn't have worked mainly because we know what's going to happen and with all the president's men we know that the work done by woodward and bernstein are going to help bring down a presidency we know richard nixon resigns but that doesn't take away from the suspense in this movie, not a single bit. And, and, and for me, that takes some pretty masterful filmmaking to pull that kind of stuff off. And, and that's exactly what this is. It's, it's masterful filmmaking. So, you know, if you think about what could be a really boring look at investigative reporting around, you know, this two-bit burglary attempt, as they, as they mentioned, you know, in the movie, it ends up being this massive sort of puzzle-solving exercise and it's thrilling. It's engaging every step of the way. The lead actors, Redford and Hoffman, they're both amazing as Woodward and Bernstein. They play really, really well off each other. It's obviously based on a book of the same name by Woodward and Bernstein that came out in 74. And it walks you through all the investigative reporting that they did and trying to find out just how high up the chain that, you know, the cover up went into Watergate. Turns out it went up pretty high. And... I, I just I think this movie is just as relevant today as it was back in 76, you know, especially given the way, you know, certain American politicians have tried to, you know, use their position of power for dirty tricks and digging up dirt and corrupt money. And as much as things change, some things just stay the same and power corrupts and, and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And it's all that's laid out in all the president's men. I, I think it's a relevant film. You know, right to this day. So my number two. That's a good pick. Um, the uh, so before we jump into our number ones, I mm -hmm. want to just have a quick side chat up for with you. Sure. I want to talk about um, performers who have won or been nominated for an Oscar for playing a real life person. And the Academy wanna, loves that. Uh, they, they do. They really and, do. And I'm I'm sort of I want to just get your take on it. Do mm -hmm. you think that we get so many of these movies where it's based on the real based on the events of a real life person because they know it could potentially win awards and do actors love these kinds of performances for that same reason um like is it which it's sort of a chicken and the egg question like what do you think is driving so many of these kinds of movies um i don't know that's a good question I, uh, unfortunately i think hollywood is driven more by money than it is by trying to um, win awards and it only wants to win awards if it means more money. So well, and I maybe think that's, that's what it is. Yeah. 
I, I think that's it. And I mean, you get it. Uh, so one of the performers that came to mind when I was sort of thinking about this earlier was someone like Daniel Day-Lewis, arguably one of mm-hmm. the best actors working today. Um, you know, he, he's been nominated for numerous Academy Awards for playing real life people. He was nominated for uh, his role in My Left Foot. He was mm-hmm. nominated for his role in In the Name of the Father. He's nominated for his role in Lincoln. And in each of those cases, like he's playing an actor that's uh, he's playing a real person who's tremendously different. Like his his uh, performance in My Left Foot is for playing a character who who is paralyzed. Right. He only can literally move around like the one foot, hence the title of the book and or movie. Um, so I think a lot of performers look for these kinds of roles because it's challenging. Right. It's going to it's going to really test their ability. Um, and there's that whole scene in the movie Tropic Thunder. And we won't go into it because it's super not politically correct anymore where they talk about, like, if you're playing a character with some sort of handicap or disability, <laughs> it's almost a guarantee you will get a nomination, right. if not a win. But, but you never you go full. It, you never but go if full. you take it too far, yeah. then it's seen as, like, an insensitive You go home empty-handed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, although in the Tropic Thunder, the dialogue is is meant to be humorous, yeah. it actually is pretty accurate. Which I think sort That's of why I'm laughing at it. It's funny. so accurate, yeah. yeah. So... Anyway, I, I was just reminded of that earlier this week when I was doing my homework, and and so many of the movies that I was I was putting on this list, it was like Oscar winner, Oscar winner, Oscar nominee, Oscar nominee, Oscar winner, Oscar. Nominee. It's like holy cow! Like there are, like I said, I got a list here of almost a hundred movies. I would be shocked if less than eighty percent of them don't have an Oscar nomination for performance by somebody in each of these movies. Like it's just, it seems to go hand in hand. So. Anyway, just, go, just going back to, to Tropic Thunder, Thunder for a second, that scene with um, Robert Downey Jr. when he's delivering that speech, if if you were a writer and you wrote that scene, you wrote that speech, to watch that come to life must have been one of the most th- thrilling things of all time. Like, yeah, just, just to watch the way he just breathes life into that scene. <laughs> Yeah. So funny. Oh, God. Anyway. Okay. So, number one. It's funny because uh, it's true. Okay. Exactly. Your so number one film. My number one pick. Based on real life. What is it? Based on real life. Yes. Again, this is one of those ones that I'm going to sort of classify as the unknown hero. This is a guy who wrote a book based on his real life. And until he had, nobody knew who he was. And then once they read the book, they turned into a movie. And this is the 1990 film from Martin Scorsese, Goodfellas. Hmm. This is a book about Henry Hill. Played yep. by Ray Liotta, it also stars Robert uh, Robert uh, Robert. I was going to say Robert Downey Jr. Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, directed by Scorsese, as I already said, was nominated for six, six Oscars. Joe Pesci won for Best Supporting Actor. It was also nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Writing, Best Film Editing. Like this, arguably, a lot of people. This is their absolute all-time favorite movie, hands down, in any category. This definitely makes my all-time top ten. No question about it. This is probably also in my top ten of movies I've seen the most in my entire life. I love this film. You had said earlier uh, about Raging Bull that you thought it was, uh, you know, Scorsese's best work. I would argue all day long that I think Goodfellas is mm-hmm. every bit as good as Raging Bull, um, maybe for different reasons. But this movie, there is so much to like about this movie, uh, aside from the fact that it's about, you know, villains. But I think that's part of what so many people like about a lot of movies is. The idea that the bad guy can be glamorized in a way that you're like, oh, this, you know, this looks like exciting. Look at this guy. He doesn't have a real job and he gets to do these bad things and get away with it. And then, of course, by the end, he doesn't get away with it. And so, you know, the cycle is preserved and, and evil is punished and all that good stuff. But um, I just love the fact that this movie follows this story. It's again, it's this story of this nobody who becomes a somebody who who just reaches too far and gets careless and gets greedy and becomes a victim of his own circumstance and it's just all these bad guys who get their comeuppance by the end because they do bad things and at the end of the day bad people generally will get punished and this movie they certainly do this is a great film i love it for so many reasons it is my number one like i said it was between the social network and goodfellas and these flip-flopped all week long but i ended up landing goodfellas as my number one nice Okay, my number one. I've mentioned before that one of my favorite movies of all time is The Killing Fields from 1984. Uh, Me and Yancey reviewed it uh, all the way back on episode 55, like four years ago. And it's my personal best movie ever made about real events. So if you've never seen it, it's the story of these two real-life journalists in Cambodia during the Vietnam War. There's Sidney Schomburg. He's from the New York Times. And his Cambodian associate, Dithpron. 
And it's really about how the Vietnam War spills over into Cambodia and how the communist Khmer Rouge take power in the country. And then they basically conduct this purge of citizens so that they can assume total control over the country. And Dith Pran, he can't get out when they evacuate the country. And he's sent to this concentration camp where he witnesses what, you know, becomes known as the killing fields, where his fellow citizens are killed by the Khmer Rouge. And the most powerful thing about the movie is that you get totally engrossed in the story. And then at the very end of the film, they put up these pictures of the real Sydney and the real Dith Prawn, and then it, it hits you like a ton of bricks. That the horror that you just watched was real. Like this actually happened to two real people, <laughs> especially Dith Prawn and what he had to go through and what he had to suffer. It makes me cry every time I watch this movie. It is one of the single most powerful films ever made, and it's the best film that I've ever seen that are based on real life events. So it, that's my number one. Probably no surprise to you. You know how much. No, I love this that's movie. that's a you strong know? pick. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I, I may be incorrect here, but I think I might have actually been on that podcast with you and Yancey. I, I think I was. I don't know. Or, or I, if I was, I think we've talked about it since then because I know yeah. you and I have talked about this movie many times. This is a great film. Yeah. For all the reasons you said, yeah, this is this is a strong, strong pick. And I think, I mean, it's just as relevant today because you look at what's happening in the Middle East right now as America is leaving. And I think, you know, we're going to see these same kinds of, unfortunately, we're going to see the same kinds of atrocities where the people that have been left behind that could not leave the country for whatever reason are going to face, in many cases, death simply because they supported, you know, the allies and the Americans who were there. And it's like, you know, here's this movie, The Killing Fields from what year did it come out? 84. 84. But it was based on the events in Vietnam, which was in the 70s. So yeah, like, 73. Here's this yeah. movie that's showing these atrocities of how things, you know, played out in the 70s. And here we are. But almost 50 years later, and we're going to unfortunately probably see a lot of the same kind of things happening in, in a slightly different part of the world. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we saw basically the same thing happen in Rwanda. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, now probably going to happen in Afghanistan. Like it just keeps happening. But uh, you know, history repeats itself and we never learn from it. But uh, we can definitely uh, watch a film like this and just and just appreciate, you know, how important it is. So. So, yeah. yeah, and like you said, if you if you watch this movie and you don't cry at the end, you are heartless. Like, this, this, and I remember too, there was a lot of criticism. And again, we talked about this on the podcast, you know, years ago when we did it. There was a lot of criticism about using "Imagine" by John Lennon at the end of the film. Right. A lot. Some people thought it was kind of hokey. I don't. I like. It's my favorite song of all time, and its appearance at the end of the film is perfect because it really kind of ties in all those ideals like what if what what if you know the world there was no religion what if there was no politics and government you know like then we can all just get along and here you've got this guy from new york this jew from new york you know who is um a, a journalist over in cambodia who befriends you know this cambodian self-proclaimed journalist and photographer and together they're able to get the word out to the world about what's going on over there and overcome everything to still be friends. And I, that's why I love at the very end of the movie when Death Prawn says, there's nothing to forgive. Yeah. There's nothing. And, I'm, and you're like, Death, look what you've been through. Like, this is crazy. And nope, there's nothing to forgive. We're still friends. Like, oh, such a good movie. God, I love it. Okay, time now for Fun with Caveman. All right, my friend. So we talked about movies based on real life events. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a movie title. Okay. All you have to do is mention the real life person that's depicted in the film. Oh, boy. Okay. It's okay. Easy. I mean, you, most of these you've already mentioned tonight on the podcast. Okay. You're going to okay. get. I want I want the, the prominent person here. So what I, what I mean is if I say Aaron Brockovich, I'm looking for what? Aaron Brockovich. Right. I, I don't want Aaron Brockovich's boss or her kids. You know, I'm, I'm sure they're all wonderful people. You know, they had a lot of influence on her story, but I'm looking sure. for the main person. Okay. Okay. So that's the key. So I named the movie the main person, the main real person that's involved in the film. And some of these Got are it. super, super easy. Okay. Moneyball. Billy Bean. This one you've already mentioned, The Social Network. Mark Zuckerberg. 
All right. Gorillas in the Mist. Ooh, I know that was Sigourney Weaver, and she was playing Diane Fossey. Very good. All right. Walk the Line. Oh, that was... Um, Oh, that was the singer, uh, um, Johnny Cash. You mentioned this one on the podcast already, The Aviator. Howard Hughes. You also mentioned this one on the podcast, The Imitation Game. Um, Turing. I can't think of his first name. I'll give it to you. It's Alan Turing. Alan okay. Turing. The Theory of Everything. Oh, that was um, Eddie Redmayne. That was um, Stephen Hawking. See, you're killing it. Okay. The Last King of Scotland. Oh, that was, it was Forrest Whitaker playing Edie Min. Milk. Um, his name was Harvey Milk. Obviously, I needed the first name there. So yeah, the yeah. Last name. All right. The greatest story ever told. Uh, isn't that about the Bible? Um, um, wow. I'm going to take a huge guess here and say Moses. Oh, no, it was Jesus. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Derek. <laughs> the King's Speech. Oh, that was, oh, it was Colin Firth and it was um, Bertie. What the hell was his real name? He was, oh, well, Albert was his real name. What was his friggin' king name? He was, I don't know. It was King George the Sixth. George. No, getting harder. Know. They're getting harder. Yeah, and no the last kidding. one, The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, geez. Uh, well, I know it was Leonardo DiCaprio and mm. he played... You know what? I'm. You give me all night. I'm not going to get it. I don't know. Jordan Belfort. Oh, I had to make it no. harder as we went yeah. on. Honestly, I saw the movie once. I didn't care for it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and I know that's a hot take. I know a lot of mm -hmm. people think it's Leo's greatest performance, but I'm like, yeah, I, I it was pretty good. I, I still can't believe you didn't get Jesus Christ. Well, you anyway. I don't mind. <laughs> so okay. So before we go on, yeah. Normally, this is the part of the show yep. where we talk about like, hey. What are we going to do next week? And mm -hmm. we talked, we've already talked about how a couple of weeks back we did our movie draft and we we're going to, mm -hmm. you know, we picked our categories and we've, we're going to do all the years from the 1980s and all that good stuff. And we're definitely going to do that. Good. But I'm going to pull an audible on you. Oh, sure. And we're not going to do that next week. Okay. We've done all this homework about movies based on real life. Okay. And a movie jumped out at me when I was looking up titles earlier because I thought, you know what, we've been spending a lot of time in the 80s. I wanted to take us away from the 80s for just one week. And no, the next week, I don't week want after to come that, the 80s. We'll come back and we'll revisit a year from the 80s and we'll put you right back into your comfort zone. But I don't think it's necessarily fair to some of our listeners who maybe weren't alive in the 80s or don't agree with you that the 80s was the greatest decade ever they for pop culture. agree with me, what? So I, I wanted to just, you know, temporarily do a little palate cleanser, mm -hmm. go with something a little newer. All right. I mean, a little newer. It's, it's still 20 years old, but I wanted next week, come back. I got that last week, by the way. I think it yeah. was I think it was Luke Martin sent me yeah. a, a tweet, and he was like, I loved how you mentioned it. Okay, we're going to do something newer. This one is from 2003. Yeah, <laughs> like, so this one's from 2002, and this is a, a little movie by a, a director you may have heard of before called Steven Spielberg, and the movie's called Catch Me If You Can, and it stars the aforementioned Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, it's based on a the real life story of Frank Abagnale Jr., who is a con man, and Tom Hanks is the federal agent trying to catch him because he's so good at being a con man. So that's what I want to watch next week. We're going to do Catch Me If You Can, the Steven Spielberg film from 2002. Give it a watch. I don't know if you, have you ever seen it before. I've never seen it. No. Okay, well, this that's perfect. even better. Perfect. So I'm hoping that it, that it is available on the streaming services. I mean, I know I have a copy on my DVD shelf, but this is a pretty popular movie. I'm hoping you won't have any problems finding it. I th I think it's great. I haven't seen it in a while. I, I just, 
I was inspired this week when we were doing movies based on true events. And uh, when this one came up on the list, it just popped. And I'm like, we are doing this one next. So right. I, I'm sorry to change up, change it up on you here. That's sort okay. of without uh, a lot of advance warning, but uh, you know, we're going to do this one next week. And then at the end of next week, we'll pick a year from the 1980s sure. to do our draft. I promise. Okay. So we'll do our draft in two weeks. So that's fine. So yep. we'll do catch me if you can next week. Uh, so I'll find a way to watch it. I think it is available streaming. I don't know why. Yeah, I'd, be, I'd be kind of surprised if it's not. It's pretty popular, right? So, uh, so okay, so we'll watch Catch Me If You Can. We'll come back next week and we'll review that movie. Um, it took place after 1989, so I'll probably hate it. But, you know, who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But until next week, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.